but we're picking up 1 Corinthians. Uh, just, just so you know, uh, Paul is actually in Ephesus. He's over here on this side of the Aegean Sea, and Corinth is over here. Now, he's on his second missionary journey. He, I'm going to clean up Rick's mess while I get started here. Uh, on his second missionary journeys, when he was actually spent time in Corinth, it was around 51, 52 A.D. He spent approximately 12 months there. One of the believers that came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior was the synagogue le- uh, leader, and he actually mentions him in verse 1. Sosthenes. Sosthenes was the synagogue leader. And there was another synagogue leader actually before him who also came to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. But now he's in Ephesus. It's around 55 AD. That's approximately five years after Jesus has died on the cross. And the church is beginning to grow as Paul travels through his actual third missionary journey. And now he's got the news that things are going on in Corinth that are good, but also corrupt. Bad things are happening there. And so he sits down to pin them a letter because he's in Ephesus and he's going to send it over to Corinth and try to encourage them. So let's get started in that. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1 says this, Paul, called as an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and so Sosthenes, our brother. Now, you know, you guys, when you get a letter, typically the first thing that you do is you either look at the return address or you go straight to the bottom of the letter and you look to see who the letter's from. It makes sense if you're going to read the whole... Surely nobody in here like reads letters and don't have any idea who it's from until you get to the bottom. But this is the way that they introduced the letter is they introduced themselves so they knew exactly who the letter was coming from. And then he said this. He said, called as an apostle of Christ Jesus, God called Paul, and it says this, it's God's will. Now, I always like to clarify the difference between God's calling and God's will. They're two different things. I have a calling on my life. Anybody know what my calling is? It's probably to pastor, to shepherd, to teach, to watch over people. That's my calling. My calling is different than your calling. Everyone in this room has a different calling. But get this, everybody in this room has the same will from God. God's will for you is this, that you simply walk by the Spirit that has been placed inside of you. That's God's will for your life. If you can figure that out, one, that you have a Spirit living inside of you, that God is actually using your flesh suit, your body as a temple for Him to live in and actually to do things with you and through you, if you figure that out, that's His will for your life, it will be easy to do your calling. Because you all in this room, whoever are believers in Jesus Christ, 
look, you have the same spirit in you that I have in me. You have the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead living in your mortal bodies. Really? (laughs) Let me say that again. You have the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead living in your mortal bodies. If you figure that thing out, it changes everything. And so that's the difference between the calling is what we do versus God's will. You have two choices. You either pursue God's will or you pursue your own will. One being walking by the Spirit, the other being walking by the flesh. And Paul gets into that here in a little bit. He says that he's an apostle. Apostles were typically directly connected to the life of Jesus' ministry here on earth. Like the 12 disciples, you all are disciples because you're followers of Jesus Christ. You identify with Jesus Christ, but you're not apostles. Apostles were the ones that actually hung out with Jesus. So Paul says, I'm an apostle, but we know Paul didn't hang out with Jesus. But Paul had an experience on the road to Damascus where Jesus came and basically downloaded all of his earthly ministry to him, and Paul understood it. And therefore, He's claimed as an apostle of Jesus Christ. I know what happened here on earth because of this experience that I had not only on the road to Damascus, but the time that I spent alone processing and unpacking everything that the Lord shared with me. And then, of course, he says, Sosthenes, the synagogue leader in Corinth, that he actually led to the Lord on his second missionary trip, now is sitting with Paul. He says in verse 2, to the church of God at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus called as saints, with all those in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both their Lord and ours. He's literally writing this letter to the believers in Christ Jesus. He's not writing to a a body. He's not writing to a small group. He's not writing to a church, but he's writing to all believers that believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he came here to earth. He did ministry here on earth as a servant. He got up on the cross and died. His blood was poured out. He was buried. He rose again, and now he sent his spirit to live inside of us. That's the simple belief. If you believe that, then you're a believer in Jesus Christ. And this is who he's writing to, all the people. Now, here's, here's a couple of words in here. Look at the sanctified. I love it. Because if he's writing to the church at Corinth and he says to all those who believe, wait, 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 everybody in here believes, right? You believe, hopefully you believe then he's writing this letter to you as well in this opening. He says, to all who are sanctified. There's two letters in that word that are very important. E-D. It's past tense. It's perfect tense. It's saying, you have already been sanctified. Those who believe 
have been saying, okay, well, what does sanctified mean? It means to be set apart from the rest of the world, the non-believers. You've got non-believers and you've got believers, and now you've been set apart from the rest of the world. You're sanctified. It's already happened. And then he, he goes even further than that, and he calls them saints. Saints. We live in a world where somebody appoints saints and then buries them in churches. But Paul's sitting here saying, no, you all are saints because of what Jesus Christ did for you. He, saints means to be holy. Holy, again, means to be set apart. You're sanctified. You're holy. You are a saint. That's good stuff. Yet, if you look around this room, it's full of saints. You're all set apart from the rest of the world. Paul is literally trying to brainwash these people to understand their identity in Jesus Christ. He wants them to get it, so he's calling them and he's identifying them. He's talking about what has already occurred because of their beliefs. Verse 3, it says this, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is typical Paul. It's always grace first. You know grace. Grace comes through salvation because Jesus Christ died for our sins, and that's grace. That's a gift. But there's another grace that the church sometimes forgets about, and that's the moment-by-moment grace. That's the grace that I'm experiencing right now as I'm standing before you in my flesh that I'm trusting the Lord to work through me and speak through me and teach through me. Moment by moment, breath by breath, you're seeing grace in action right here. And you as saints and sanctified have that same ability. He says grace to you. And then he, what does he say? And he says, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I have peace in my flesh, but I also have the Spirit inside of me have the Spirit inside of me, and one of the fruit of the Spirit is peace. That Spirit is producing peace. I can produce peace. I can remain quiet and not say anything, not argue, not debate, not give my opinions about anything, and I can have peace. Not post anything on social networking and have peace. Or I can have peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. His peace is greater than my peace. And if I can just rest in that fact right there, I'm good. If I become dependent upon my own strength and my own peace, it's not going to be very peaceful. And then he gets to his next section, which he, he typically does in all of his letters. We call it a Thanksgiving section. There's very few letters that Paul wrote. I, I think it's interesting, too, if you... Uh, Back up just a second. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament, right? Those are the Gospels. And then you've got Acts, which is really what we're going through. It's the whole history of the New Testament after the cross. And we're as we go through Acts, we're taking each one of the letters chronologically. But then after Acts, you've got Romans, and then you've got First and Second Corinthians, right? Acts, Romans, First, Second Corinthians. You know the order of those books. It's because Romans was Paul's largest letter that he wrote. 1 Corinthians was the second largest letter that he wrote. 
And they put those books in the order of the size that Paul wrote these letters. So this is like the second biggest letter that Paul wrote. All right. So now he's actually writing this letter and he comes to this Thanksgiving section and some of his letters, he just goes straight to the jugular. Like, let's deal with the issue here. And he forget the whole Thanksgiving, but he's got his Thanksgiving in here. And uh, it just, he does this. He, he, he not only tells them thanks for what I've heard, the great things that you're doing, but he's literally saying, I encourage you to keep repeating this. He's reminding them that this is what you've been doing, just keep doing it. So his Thanksgiving really has two points to it. In verse 4 he says, I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God given to you in Christ Jesus. That you are enriched in him in every way, in all speech and all knowledge. In this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is absolutely thankful for their giftedness. Where did their giftedness come from? There's a difference between being talented and being gifted. What Paul is talking about here is a spiritual gift, not a talent. Now, Rick used his talent as a spiritual gift this morning. There's a difference between the two. He encouraged you, right? Just being up here singing. Most people call that worship. I call what you're doing right now worship. You're just breathing. That's worship. It's all worship. Moment by moment grace. And so he talks about their giftedness and he's thankful for their giftedness, but later on in chapters 12, 13, and 14, he kind of corrects them in the usage of their giftedness because they're abusing their gifts. Think about it in here. Uh, Let me just ask you a question real quick that you can respond to. What are some personal leavener gifts among the people in this room right here? I'm asking you a question. Hospitality. You have anybody in mind when you think of that? Oh, well, thank you. That's my wife. She's very hospitable. I just live there. But that is absolutely one of her gifts. She's always got brownies in the cabinet. She's always got something ready to go. And uh, people are always stopping by. The coffee machine's always going. And yeah, hospitality. What do you say? Matt Tully, encouragement. Constantly. I, yeah, I, I get it from Matt. It's good to know that other people are getting it from Matt. But yeah, I see it. He does it all the time. What else? Yes, sir. What? Joy? Wow, Dave. Look, he's already got a smile on his face. He's always got a smile on his face, Dave Giacomo. It's good. What else? Yes, sir, Luke. Troy Pruitt uses his talent, his knowledge, his wisdom, and he helps people all the time. Troy Pruitt, Spirit, he's like, no big deal. It's not a big deal when it's your gift. 
It's not a big deal to smile and be joyful, is it? It's not a big deal to be an encourager. It's a big deal my wife to hosp- be hospitable. No, she, she works at it. She, she's good at it. She's good at it. Anybody else? Selflessness. What do you, where do you see that? Danny DeSalvo, all those guys, Bogdan, all those guys, always doing the trees. and Yeah, he said all over this room. It's good stuff. So Paul's he's literally thanking them for their giftedness, the giftedness that comes from God. In verse 8, he says this, He will also strengthen you to the end so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's, is that the exact same verse that you quoted, Matt, or did you use a, a different verse this morning? Uh, in verse 8, the blameless, when you're talking about being blameless in the day of the Lord, you're in Jude. Okay, I'm in 1 Corinthians, and he says, and Paul says the same thing. He says uh, that you'll be strengthened to the end so that you'll be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. L- let me explain this real quick. I walk here, and I'm standing here in this gorgeous earth suit. I was given this earth suit, and I'm responsible for taking care of this earth suit. This earth suit is just temporary. It has a piece of meat up here called a brain. All right, And in that brain, it's the hard drive. It's the hard drive that remembers everything that I've touched and smelled and tasted and seen and heard. Everything that I've experienced is all logged in that hard drive, that piece of meat. All right? And so I, watch this, I can act out of my flesh and out of what I've experienced in my past, or I also appear in the same location, I have a mind. That's different than the brain. The brain's a piece of meat that's going back in the grave and turned to dust. All that stuff that I remembered is going back in the ground, be worm food. But I have a mind, and it's eternal. And it's what goes with me in my spirit and resides with Jesus someday. Right now, because of my new heart, my I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, I have the mind of Christ. I can read this Bible, and I can understand it because I've been given the mind of Christ just like you. That's a pretty cool thing. And so now I have this flesh suit, but I also have this soul in the spirit that has been redeemed because of my belief in what Jesus did on the cross. Because of what Jesus did on the cross in my soul and spirit, he has already made me blameless. Everything that I've done in my own strength is sin. Everything that I'm doing right now in my own strength is sin. Everything that I do in the future in my own strength is sin. Everything I do in faith is not sin. Everything I do in the strength of the Lord is not sin. He died a long time ago, 2,000 years ago, for everything that I was going to do in my strength. Not what I've done. Well, he did. Not only what I've 
done, not only what I'm doing, but also what I'm going to do. It's all dealt with. I am blameless. It's, it's, it's the deal. Now, in my actions, my actions, I said I have two actions. I can either walk by my flesh or walk by my spirit. Hopefully, most of the time as I get older, I'm learning more and more to live out of my new heart and walk by my spirit. But sometimes, occasionally, I still walk by my flesh. And so Paul is encouraging them as you walk, as you walk is that eventually you're going to become blameless because this thing is going back in the ground. I'm blameless in my soul and spirit. I'm not blameless in my actions right now because you just hang out with me, you'll see. All right? But God is not concerned about my actions in the flesh. He's only concerned about my actions in my spirit and my soul that's redeemed in the things that I do through him. That, that's what, because he's dealt with all the other stuff, right? And so Paul's saying, keep walking. I encourage you that you be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ when the Lord returns. Someday when Christ returns, we're done with this flesh suit and even our actions are made blameless when we become totally redeemed. I'm redeemed in my soul and spirit, but not in my flesh. Verse 9, it says this. God is faithful. You were called by Him into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Fellowship is that word that we use that relates to one another as, as a community. And I've been part of church my whole life, and I've watched churches fight for fellowship. You know, like, you get disunity over the color of the carpet or the paint on the walls or committees or people or things like that. You know the whole church thing. But people actually fight for unity. They fight for the goodness of fellowship. If they just understood what Paul's saying here. If you have fellowship with Jesus Christ, you don't have to fight for unity in the church. If everybody in this room has fellowship with Jesus Christ and we're all on the same page, there's no fight for unity. We are unified in Christ. That's the beauty of it. That, that, that's, that's the whole thing. If we can figure this thing out, all the stuff that we do, all the actions, put it aside and focus on Jesus, and then you, you're not going to have any problem with the community. We will be unified. I think it's interesting in Paul's uh, Thanksgiving section here, verses 4 through 9, you you can really conclude four things. First of all, number one, he's unlike so many teachers in this world and he's not concerned, first of all, uh, with his own welfare. He's concerned about the church and the people. That's the pastoral side of Paul coming out. The second thing is, he's not giving a message of human manufacture, but emphasizing God's grace. You don't have to do this God will do this through you. The third thing he's talking about, he's what we might call an 
an, an end times perspective. On each event that he introduces, he starts thinking ahead about what we have to look forward to on the day that the Lord Jesus Christ returns. And he's literally saying, this is the goal. This is the goal is that we get there. You can have a joyful life all the way up to that point, but it's going to get really good here in the end. And then the fourth thing, I think that is what it is, I said in the first one, is he shows a very pastoral concern for the people. He's passionate for these people. He loves them dearly. And then now we get to the body of the letter. And one of the things that Chloe's people, remember Chloe over in Corinth came over, some of her people, business people came over and informed Paul, this is what's going on. And they informed Paul about the division in the church at Corinth. And so he addresses it. Verse 10, he says, Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. Again, unity comes from being focused on what the content is rather than how the content is presented. What is the content? That's what Paul is literally saying. Sometimes the interpretation of the Scripture can be skewed. I'm going to teach it one way, and I'm going to use specific terms that I use over and over and over. Others in our community, our fellowship, will come up here and teach, and they will use different words with pretty much the same interpretation. If you go outside of our, our Leavener community and fellowship, you're going to hear a similar message, but with slightly different understandings. Like, hey, like our, our teenagers on Wednesday night are pretty good at throwing penalty flags. If they have heard, or if they're hearing something different than what they have heard, the only thing they've ever heard, which is hearing pinheads, they can throw a penalty flag because it sounds different. We call that using a filter of the 66 books. There's 66 books in the Bible. You have to take all 66 books and you have to make them make sense. If I'm up here teaching and I just teach a few verses out of 1 Corinthians and a few verses out of Romans, I can make the Bible say whatever I want it to say. I can I can put pressure on you. I can make you feel bad. I can do all these things, all these things that I've experienced over my life. But if I take all 66 books and I filter it through all 66 books, it has to make sense. And so, therefore, when I listen to other people outside of this community, I am filtering. I'm filtering. It's hard to listen. I... You guys know, a lot of you know, uh, my friend Jeff Picone. Jeff is uh, a counselor in the area. Many of our Levener people have visited with Jeff, used Jeff, and still use Jeff. He's a good friend. We hang out probably uh, three or four times a year. We go to baseball games occasionally. He's a good friend. 
when I was uh, meeting with the elders, I'm like, I need a counselor that understands what we teach. And literally that week, we found Jeff. And we've developed that relationship. Now, you, here, here's what I say about Jeff is, he doesn't teach it exactly like I teach it. He's going to say he's going to say some things that probably I wouldn't agree with. But in general, he's teaching identity in Jesus Christ. I'm assuming that as as you listen and you hear and you filter through the 66 books that you could go to Jeff and Jeff could help you, but sometimes you might have to filter what Jeff's saying. It if you don't like Jeff, then I'm going to send you to another counselor that knows less about their identity. And you're going to have to filter even more. Do you understand what I'm saying? Is don't, you get into the words so much that you can understand it and you can see, hey, that doesn't quite sound right. What does the scripture say about it? And so you have to use this filter. I love Jeff. As far as I know, he's as close as it gets. But sometimes I even have to filter my friend. Uh, but going back, how do you stay unified? You stay unified because the focus is on the basics. What are the basics? Jesus is the Son of God. He came, he died, buried, rose again. Those are the basics. Those are what we're going to stay unified on. I teach in here constantly how to live life with that understanding and faith because it's just like Matt was saying in his prayer time, a lot of people teach, well, it'll all get better in the end when we die and go to heaven. I believe it's great right now because I got that holy living God inside of me and I can walk here and I can walk with the the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I walk with that because he's producing it. He's producing it in me. And that's the good stuff. The division comes when we really try to live out of our new hearts. Understanding that, that's, I believe, where the real division comes. And that's only because we've been taught differently. I was taught different than I teach right now. I grew up in a very legalistic How I didn't know it at the time. I didn't know it. But there's a difference between the old living out of the old covenant and living out of the new covenant. I live out of the no, new covenant solely today. I still teach the old covenant. I still believe the old covenant. But I'm a new covenant Christian because of what Christ did on the cross. That changed everything. Then it says, verse 11, For it has been reported to me about you, my brothers and sisters, by members of Chloe's people, that there is a rivalry among you. What? There's division. There's schism. What am I saying is this. One of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, which is Peter, or I belong to Christ. Hmm. This week, uh, I had a Zoom meeting with five other pastors in the Fishers area. Uh, Kevin Roth, at Grace Church in Fishers, John Smith at Northview Church in Fishers, uh, Deacon Joseph at St. George's Orthodox Church, the big gold dome on 116th Street, uh, Jeff Elker from St. Louis de Montfort Catholic Church, 
and Scott Geiger from Cornerstone Lutheran Church. And we've been working on this Fisher's Cares ministry uh, that uh, has to deal with mental health from a Christian perspective. We've been united in, in trying to get this to work. It hasn't worked so well. Somebody said, do we abandon it? Well, if we abandon it, what came out of it? That the six of us grew pretty close together. And why did the six of us grow pretty close together? Solely because of Jesus. I, I promise you, they, they teach different than we teach. They teach, they teach different than we do. Catholics, Lutherans, Orthodox, but we are united in Jesus Christ. That's the basics. So that's what Paul's saying. You stay united in what you teach. Yeah, Apollos is going to teach different. He's going to use big words, and he's teaching to the wealthy people. Peter, he likes doing all those miracles and stuff like that that people like to see. And I'm just Paul. I'm going to talk about Jesus. He, he understands it, but the unifier is Jesus Christ. We're united in our faith in Jesus. Verse 13 says this, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in Paul's name? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say you were baptized in my name. Now this is funny. He says, I did in fact baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't recall if I baptized anyone else. I don't remember who I baptized. Thank you, Paul. Take the pressure off of me. Because people come up to you, remember when you baptized me? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't remember who all I baptized. I mean, I remember a lot of it, but there's some that I've forgotten. I've been baptizing for over 30 years. Baptized a lot of students. Baptized a lot of people. Paul's literally got... Yeah, I bet he's not saying it's not important. What he's saying is like, who's baptizing you and all those things that you guys are arguing about? That's not important. It says in verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effect. He's not encouraging or even referring to unbaptized Christians at this point. He's not saying it doesn't matter if you're baptized or if you aren't baptized. He's not saying that. But he's saying if baptism leads to this kind of division in the church in Corinth, I don't want any part of it. I don't want any part of it. If this is what it's doing, I'm out. Because that's not what I'm here for. I'm here to talk about Jesus. I'm here to, yes, Jesus says to get baptized. It's a public affirmation and confirmation of your faith in Jesus Christ. It's not what saves you. But if this is what's going to cause disunity among you, I'm out. I'm out. I don't care if you baptize them by immersion, if you sprinkle them, I'm out. That's what he's saying. The key for Paul is preaching the gospel of Christ crucified. He says literally, not in the wisdom of the word 
It's not human love or word crafting that Paul's concerned about. It's about Jesus Christ. And then these last verses that we look at here today, uh, it's talking about just the power of Christ. He says in verse 18, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. For it is written, and this he now quotes Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, chapter 29, 14. He says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. This is God prophesying through Isaiah. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Did you hear this? The gospel, the good news, salvation. If you sit here and try to figure it out, ain't happening. It's for the foolish. It's based on faith. Sorry. That's what the Scripture says. I mean, he's literally talking in reference to the worldly wisdom and the knowledge and the experience that's going on around him in Greece and Corinth. He's like, this is foolish. Watch, it says in verse 20, where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. Huh. You know, the, the key word in what i just reading right here is wisdom. It's mentioned eight times in these last few verses that we're looking at and the key idea that Paul's expressing right here is that we dare not mix man's wisdom with spiritual wisdom. They're two different things. The entire section on wisdom here in Corinthians presents a number of contrasts between the revealed Word of God and the wisdom of man. Watch this. Verse 22, it says, For the Jews ask for signs... You remember Peter was teaching the Jews and Peter did all these miraculous signs and healings and miracles and the Jews just wanted that. That was the attitude of the Jews because their emphasis is on this miraculous story and the signs and the cross. The cross really to them seems like a weakness. That's foolish. The cross? Why would we believe in that? I mean, the Jewish history is filled with miraculous events from Exodus, Elijah, Elisha. They love that stuff. When Jesus was ministering here on the earth, the Jewish leaders repeatedly asked him, hey, do some more miracles. Prove us that God's real. Show, show us some more. And Jesus is like, no, you've seen enough. If you can't believe based upon what you've already seen, you're not going to believe. <laughs> How can anybody put faith in an unemployed carpenter from Nazareth? Really? Who died this shameful death of a common criminal? How foolish is that? But the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul says, it's the power of God unto salvation. Rather than a testimony of weakness, the cross is this 
incredible, tremendous power. And then he says, and the Greeks seek wisdom. The Greeks emphasized wisdom. You study profound writings and the Greek philosophers and all this in school even today. It was all about what they thought. The philosophy. They saw no wisdom in the cross whatsoever. For they really, they looked at the cross from a human point of view. Had they seen it from God's point of view, they would have discerned the wisdom of God's great plan of salvation. I mean, you see it. You see it, but it does still seem kind of foolish. But it makes absolute sense. (laughs) Paul called on three men to bear witness. The wise, they were the expert in the field. The scribe, the one that was going to be the interpreter, the writer. And the disputer, the philosopher, the debater. He asked them one question. Through your studies into man's wisdom, have you come to know God in a personal way? Where are you guys? Through all that you've done in your life, do you know God in a personal way? Every single one of them must answer no. They haven't. The fact that they laugh at the cross and consider it foolishness is evidence that they're perishing. And then the last few verses he says this, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. And God's weakness is stronger than human strength. The things of God are not of this world. Whatever the world is doing, that's not God. What seems logical in debates, that's not of God. We are strangers in this world. We're getting ready to go into a month full of debates. We're getting ready to get just bombarded with information. Like we haven't already for the last six, seven, eight months. You've been set apart, you've been sanctified. You've been made holy. The things that you read and watch and see are of the world. Not our world. Not our world. You've been set apart. You figure this out, you'll figure out how to navigate through the next month or two. Are you going to be silent? People ask me that all the time. Are you going to be silent? My answer is I'm going to do what the Lord tells me to do. 
I'm going to do what the Lord tells me to do. Lord, I pray for my friends here today that um, what we're teaching right here is foolishness to the outside world. It doesn't even make sense. That You would keep teaching us, that You would keep showing us, that You would do it through us, that You would give us, let us rest in Your wisdom, let us rest in Your peace. Let us be able to maneuver through the muck of this world and really be a light. Let people ask questions. Let them wonder. Let them be curious about us in this room. That we're set apart. That we're holy and redeemed and forgiven. And that we can walk in that. You teach us how to live out of our new hearts. Thank you for Paul just laying it on the line to the church. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.